Um, hello. Yeah, there are people here, and for those of you who are watching through live stream or going to pick this up as a podcast, I just want to begin by saying um, that we're in this season called Here to There, and we purposely chose that we would uh, move through this season and come around February. So I kind of say, here are some ways that God is directing and leading us, and and we're, we're our, our commitment is to say, God, um, this pause of COVID is not to be uh, something that we as as your body, not just here, but we pray his church as a whole will not come back and it'll be the same, but it will be um, a time of, of God unleashing his His spirit and his work through us in ways that are new and fresh. And so that's what we've been praying for. So we've been going through this assessment in a season, what we call listening to God and to one another and started that actually back in June at the survey have come all the way now to this point where we finished just this focus groups of listening to one another. And now beginning here, just this last Thursday, I had an opportunity um, to pray. I will pray here or there, or I will pray everywhere. I kind of like Dr. Seuss. Um, uh, and that's kind of our, our model. But what we want to do is especially pray together in some of these prayer groups. And so Thursday, I had an opportunity to kick that off, prayed with, um, I just mentioned it, Jennifer Johns, uh, who's 71, and had just an incredible time of prayer together. Um, there's a way for you to be involved in this. In fact, we want you to be involved. And you can go either to our website, and then under ministry, put that little click, and you'll see prayer group and you can sign up for that. A very easy way to do it, if you have ever texted anyone, is just to text our church number, um, 763-473-9463, and type in the word prayer and send it, and you'll get the same thing back. So we're inviting as many people as possible to be in this time of prayer so that as we move through these months, we can move through this together. Well, I had asked... um, a number of couples, I think about 20 or so younger couples, and I asked a few um, older couples like myself and a few others. Um, and part of the reason I asked younger couples this question, which is, what are undeniable signs you're in love, is because I figured a lot of us may not remember those. And so I asked a whole bunch of um, people, especially who had not been married uh, for too long of a time, and I got these responses. Here's what was said. The person you love, here's an undeniable sign that you're in love. The person you love helps you feel secure and at peace in who you are and to your relationship together and in your relationship together. Another, non-stop smiling, signs of those who are in love. A surefire indication that you are in love is evidenced by an irrational, middle schoolish, smarmy behavior. An excitement to be present after being absent. When the one you love takes over your Instagram page. Uh, I thought this was funny. Weight loss is a sign that you're in love. Weight loss, you feel so good, you want to look good. Uh, Another one is talking a lot about that person. Starting to like and prefer the things they like, from food to shows to movies to music. And giving that person the gift of life insurance. And I thought, well, yeah. If if you're taking life insurance out for their sake, but I've watched enough crime investigation shows that if they're taking life insurance out on you, you might want to worry about it. And anyway, another one. One of our more newly married couples, um, one of them had said, getting excited. Um, oh, here it is. You joyfully give your whole self to the person. You think about them. You talk about them. You serve them and delight in giving up time, money, 
and energy to show them the extraordinary desire you have to please them. I thought those were interesting signs. And the reason I was asking that is because I look at our passage of scripture today, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31, and I couldn't help but seeing this whole idea of becoming bold and courageous, because that's throughout this passage, one of the undeniable signs that you're filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit is these things, like you want to talk about him, you want to, you think about him, you serve him, you, you delight in giving um, things that you might think are sacrificial, but they're not, like time and money and resources to please God. But the, the sign that you find in the early community is boldness. They're bold and courageous. And you have to put that in the backdrop of what they were experiencing. They were coming from a place of incredible fear and doubt and despair. I mean, we experience that, right? I mean, and Pete, that's one of the things that's going on right now. We feel just fear. <clears throat> things aren't in control and, and, and what's going to happen. And, and it's just, um, it's so discouraging. Well, they had just seen their hopes and dreams put up on a cross and put to death. And they had come from a dark place. And what I find is interesting is sometimes God takes these dark places of fear and he begins to prepare his church, like I think he's doing for his church here throughout the world, in order that in these times of fear, like was prayed, we will be the light. We will show the boldness and the courage in the works that God has called us to do. And so I wanted just to ask this question. I want you to think about it. Um, What does it look like for you to be bold and courageous? Why would you be bold and courageous? What what happened if the Holy Spirit took hold of your life in the midst of this darkness and began to make you a courageous person? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask that you would allow for us to understand more fully what it means to be filled with your Holy Spirit, how to walk in that, and then how to evidence before you something that brings you great delight. That's um, children, adult children in you growing into boldness. And so, God, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at these first 12 verses because I think they're important to kind of look at that first at these and stop right at verse 12. And I'm going to read from the message. And the message, some people go, oh, I don't like paraphrase, whether it's a living Bible or whatever. You know, we should be the study Bible, like the NIV, ESV, you can name all the Vs. Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm doing this is because I think when this was first written and read in that generation, it, it felt, it, it flowed with a kind of a meter and cadence and a sense of story that I think the message does well here. So, verse 1. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests and the chief of, of the temple police, <clears throat> and some of the Sadducees, they came up indignant that these upstart apostles were instructing the people and proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them, threw them in jail until morning, for by now it was late in the evening. But many of those who listened and already believed in the message, there's around numbers of about 5,000. The next day, a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The rulers, the religious leaders, the religion scholars, Annas, the chief priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, everybody who was anybody was there. 
And they stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and they grilled them. Who put you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? With that, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, let loose rulers and leaders of the people. If we have been brought to trial today for helping a sick man, put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you. I'll be bold. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on the cross, the one God raised from the dead by means of his name, that this this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons throughout, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only this one. So what makes you bold? It's kind of thinking about that. What are some of the things that you see? And as we look at this passage of scripture, we'll kind of show and and share with you, I think, some of the elements that come into um, what it's like to live as a bold person, how to develop that, not just as something you do from time to time, but it becomes a part of your character. And the very first thing that I noticed here is the motive of their boldness is the resurrection. Verses 1 through 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were disturbed. Because here's what they were teaching. They were teaching and proclaiming that Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus had died and rose again. They were proclaiming something that they saw with their own eyes. Just think about it. 50 days or more before that, they had actually been walking around with the resurrected Jesus. That would have a, a, an impact on who you are. They were walking with him, and as they would um, were spending time with him, they were beginning to have things shift within their being because they began to realize that if death can't hold him, if the teeth of death can't grip him, and this is our God, then what could stop him? Just think about it. If it was just back in September, you were actually walking with someone who rose from the dead. It, it might change your, your whole view on things. In fact, it's really, a, I think, it's just a game changer because if death is in the hands of Jesus, then I want you to think about it. The, the things that you're concerned about that you might fear right now are also in the hands of Jesus. It really changes. I was thinking about it for myself. I was thinking... What is it that that motivates me to, to get bold? And as I thought about it, there's things that do motivate me sometimes into boldness. And sometimes it's, um, I'm offended. And when I feel someone's offended me, I can get pretty bold and courageous. I can kind of step forward and, and, and kind of get them to want to see my point of view or something like that. Or I thought of another thing. Think of this. You may feel this as well. And that is, you might feel alone, but all of a sudden you find there's four or five others. Maybe in your office setting, you found out you thought you were the only one thinking this way. Now you find out there's like eight or nine. Doesn't that help you get bold? That's what I was kind of thinking about. And, and there's other things. Sometimes it's, I see someone and I, and I feel they're being unjustly treated. And, and in that moment, it, it arises within me some sense of, of, um, of anger, and, and I become bold in ways that I maybe hadn't been bold. Or I saw someone, you, you hear these stories of someone who's pinned under a car, 
and that person runs to it, and they have this kind of in, in, incredible release of strength. It is boldness to pick it up. <clears throat> what I found is interesting about that kind of motivation, which is something that motivates us, is it's not the thing that really actually develops the kind of character that of, of a person who's bold and courageous. Because those are just situational. What, what they experienced here was not something that was just situational. It was life-changing. It was character-building. They actually believed that God was for them. And the strength and power they saw in the resurrection was theirs. That wasn't changing. They built their lives upon this reality and were willing to die a martyr's death because this wasn't some kind of circumstantial thing that gets you excited to, to be bold for a moment. This wasn't because you heard maybe a message and someone shared something with you and then you kind of got bold for a moment. This was an underlying reality of who they were. They knew that Jesus has resurrected and they knew that Jesus was in heaven. The ascension had placed him at the right hand of the Father and they knew he ruled there. And they knew if death couldn't hold them, then nothing in your life do you need to be afraid of. Paul was so convinced of this that he tells the Ephesians when he prays for him, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, in chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Your boldness is built on a hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power... That doesn't go away. It's not based on circumstances. It doesn't motivate you from time to time. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. And then, doesn't stop there, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I know for me that when I experience, like in my quiet times, the evidence of God's power and strength and his his love for me and, and an understanding of who he is, I walk out of there emboldened like I hadn't before. And in fact I can sometimes recall things that God has done four, five, six years ago and I just I just praise God about it. I start to thank God for that. And all of a sudden there's a boldness because it's it's built on the reality of who Jesus is in your relationship with him. There's also another thing I want you to note here is the source of their boldness, and the source is the Holy Spirit. As you look at verses 5 and 7, it says, The next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, he was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, they list them all, and others of the high priest family. And they brought him before him, and they gave him this question, By what power or name did you do this? In my mind, I, I kind of thought, well, it, it, it isn't, uh, Peter doesn't go, it's a kind of a funny question. So how did you heal this guy? Well, let me tell you, this formula, if you use this, Peter didn't look to himself at all in any way. He, he knew that even when he stood before the guy, he said, silver gold have I none, but what I have is what? This, I have Jesus in the power that is made clear to us through his resurrection. And so he, he gets an opportunity just to kind of stand before them and, and actually say to them, here's the source of of my boldness. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that's happening within me. And if you look at verses 8 and 9, I think it's really uh, key here. Um, then Peter, and the idea is that he was being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
We get this idea that we are full of the Holy Spirit and we live that way all the time. It, it is like gas. It, filling of the Holy Spirit is something that you need to keep your life open to. And there are those times as you're going through life when you are in a place where maybe you are vulnerable or maybe you're feeling threatened or, or, or maybe you're in those, one of those what we call crisis experiences of faith where God is calling you to step into it. And, and then you step into it because the Holy Spirit is you in obedience fills you. And so Jesus even said to him, Peter, guys, there is going to come a time, Matthew 10, verse 19, there's going to come a time. They're going to arrest you, but I don't want you to worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. Here's the source. For it will not be you speaking. So get yourself out of the equation, right? You just step aside because he says, it's not you speaking, but the spirit of your father, which is the Holy Spirit, speaking through you. I've been talking um, these last number of weeks on kind of in referring to Blackaby's book, Experiencing God. And if you haven't read that, it's an incredible book to read alongside this series. Because if you want to experience God, he makes a simple point that is made in the Gospel of John. And that is you have to see where God is moving. That's what Jesus did all the time. And then when you see where God is moving, you choose to join him. That's one of the way the Holy Spirit moves in your life to move into things that God is doing. And as he says, this will always lead to a crisis of faith. Will you obey? Will you step out in faith? Will you trust Jesus to fill you with the source of this boldness, which is the Holy Spirit? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he obeyed. Okay? I always want it to be more like, okay, I'm thinking of obeying. How's that, God? Yeah, not going to happen. Well, I'm considering obeying. You ever been in that kind of situation? Now, God, if you maybe gave me two signs that you're going to do, and, and, and you know God has just kind of put on your heart to obey, and he says, when you obey, I will fill you with my spirit and embolden you to do the things I've called you to do. Jesus asks his, his, his followers to obey. And in obeying, he fills you with his Holy Spirit. It's in your obedience that you will see God showing up. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that would much rather have what I call the Red Sea kind of experiences of, of, of life where you know how Moses comes up to the Red Sea and all the people are there and Moses raises his staff and the waters part and everyone goes, yeah, that's cool, and they go across. But as you read that story, they go through the wilderness. They're now beginning to learn about the power of God. They're beginning to learn and understand how faith is involved with activating the work of God and activating the spirit of God in situations. And I, I want you to think not just about this in your head. I want you to think about your own real life right now where the spirit of God is moving and acting and he's maybe calling you to step out in faith, to be obedient. What we're always looking for is part of the Red Sea, then I'll go through it. And they and they go through this time of testing. And some of you have been gone through times of testing. Some of you have been tried by God because he's proving your faith so it'll be like gold. And he's bringing you to this place he's brought you right now. You're there right now. And it's more like crossing the Jordan. God says to Joshua, he doesn't say raise your staff and walk across. You know what he says? 
He says, get the leaders, the ones who should be most dependent and aware of my power and presence, and have them go first and line up all the people in the Jordan's flood stage. And he says, all I want you to do is have them step. They get ankle deep in the water, and the water still hasn't parted. And, and, and they're ankle deep in the water, and then the waters begin to part. Many of you, early in your faith, you will see God do things like he did with Moses in the Red Sea before you get there because he's building into you the ability to trust and he's building character. Now you're at a place where he's taken you for a journey. You begin to see him work in your life and answer other prayers. Now you're standing at the Jordan and he's going, no, no, I, I want you to begin to start being the kind of person who is like Jesus who actually in faith activates the work of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the authority of their boldness, which is really clear here in verses 9 through 12, which speaks about the name of Jesus. And, and it's different than the, the source being the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about the authority of this all comes from his name. And the name of God is incredibly important because the name speaks about who he is. It speaks about his character. So you get to verses 9 and 12, and Peter says, so do you want to know how he's been healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful you can the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Now, let's not confuse him with some other Jesus, because Jesus, that name was a very common name then. He's the one from Nazareth from which no good could come. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. Where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Their boldness was due to this simple fact. That they knew that when they spoke, prompted by the Spirit of God, doing what God's calling them to do, in that crisis of faith... As the Holy Spirit was filling them, they knew the name of Jesus backed them with all the power of heaven. That's not an uncommon thing for them to talk about. They're aware of that. In fact, often used in their day and age, they would talk about the names. That's why they want to know, in whose name did you do it? In this rabbi's name? Did you do it in the name of Israel, what was the name you're using? In, in that day, they would often, if you wanted to appeal to the greatest power that could change things, you would come into a place and you would say, in the name of Caesar. Because in his name, all of Rome would back him up. And so as they would go into these towns, as, as the Roman army would come through, they would talk to people and they would say simply, in the name of Caesar we come, which means if you guys don't shape up, all of Rome will be right behind me. It's like when the person who stops you with their car, and, and, and it may be a person who's not real big, and, and you look at them and go, boy, you know, they, they got a little red light on their car, and they stopped you, and you stopped, and they're talking to you, and you're going, I could take this guy. No, no, you couldn't, because they stand in the name of Who? All of government. It would be silly. So here it is. In the name of Jesus, we come to you. When, um, when I was about 10 and my brother was 12, my older brother was, was uh, 12, and, and my, we had a sister five years younger than us. And um, there's some interesting dynamics because my brother and I would, would fight. 
we would wrestle and sometimes start by playing and you know um you know what happened after you're playing for a little bit it gets into a real fight well that would happen from time to time that really made my sister really really uneasy and as a five-year-old she would be kind of watching from the top of the steps we were down in the basement fighting and and she would get so uneasy that she would do this thing as this little five-year-old with this little pixie cut blonde haired girl would stand there at the top of the stairs and she'd go and it, it, i mean i tell you it would be my mom's voice, but it was a five-year-old voice, okay? Boys, boys, I'm telling you, cut it out. Boys, I'm telling you, stop. And we would look at her honestly, and we would just laugh. And I was like, yeah, right, <laughs> that's funny. And then we'd go back to fighting, and, and then we'd hear her run off. And we knew when she was running off, more than likely, she wasn't just running off and didn't want to see us and was done, we'd hear a runoff, and then a few minutes later, she'd run back, stand at the top of the stairs with almost a greater sense of authority and go, boys, mom said, cut it out. And we would be fools not to pay attention to mom said because mom was a scary disciplinarian. I mean, if mom was coming, we knew we were in trouble. And, and mom was the name above all names, you know, it meant mom and dad, and they were going to come. So we would often just stop at that point. My daughter, when she was about five, uh, uh, yeah, she's about five, because she's just going in kindergarten, and, and she um, was going through a time of night terrors. And we were really struggling as a family what to do, and she came into her room, and, and we had her in our room for about three nights or so, and I'm kind of thinking, I don't want to make this a long-term arrangement. Anybody faced that before? You know what that's like. And um, I remember going in, and I remember one day going in and praying, and as I prayed, the Holy Spirit pointed out something that I just, I mean, I just said, okay, I'll take this room, and I put it down in the garage, and because um, I knew there was something spiritually, it was something she made in her class, and there were spiritual roots to it. I just knew at least this thing wasn't right at that moment, and put it down in the garage. She, and I prayed for it, and she slept sound. She came up to me the next day and said, Dad, it was something she made. Dad, throw it out. I went, okay. And then I thought, you know what? I want to teach her something right now. I want her to know what I did is something she can do. She has the ability to call on the name of God. So I told her, I said, Kenzie, listen, you don't have to try and wish something away. You don't have to say stop it in your own name. I want you to know, because this is a spiritually rooted thing, it's very clear, that you can just say in the name of Jesus, stop, leave, go where Jesus tells you to go. She didn't have another night terror. I was in Japan in 2016, in right around the time when the Cubs were winning the World Series, and I thought, why did I do this? Anyway, um, of you know, no, I'm a Cub fan, and they maybe made the World Series. They won't make it for another hundred years, I suppose. But anyway, uh, I'm there, and there was a young pastor who took me around and did some translation work for me. And he took me to his home, and they live in a very small home because in Japan, it's to have any room at all is just you know it's expensive. And took me to his home, and they had maybe about three rooms, but he had been sleeping for about the last three, four years with his son who had night terrors. And he just shared with me about, he didn't feel this was right, and et cetera, et cetera. 
And I just said, have you ever just prayed and asked God, is this a spiritual thing? Uh-huh, no, not, no. And have you asked him, is there anything that he needs to make you aware of? No. So he prayed, he did all that. And I said, well, here's one thing you can do, and your son can do it too, and that is you can pray in the name of Jesus, taught him the same thing. I was home two weeks after that. I had no idea what happened because I had to leave. I was home two weeks after that, got an got a email from him, and he said, it's amazing. My son has slept sound every night, and I'm not in the same room with him anymore. Because there's something about the name of Jesus that is incredibly powerful because it comes with all of heaven. And I want to share with you, when, when you look at verse 9 and he says, if we are being asked how he was healed, then know this. Let me teach you something, people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's the stone you builders rejected. Jesus is the cornerstone of this entire universe. If you want a universe built well, the plumb line is Jesus. We are praying. I am praying. I've been praying for years and with others as well. God, would you, through this COVID season, not make it a pause that goes back to spiritual normality? in your church to begin with. But would you make this a moment where we get plumb-lined with you, Jesus, in such a way that we're not guided by our past traditions, we're not guided by what we think we like and don't like. We are guided by one thing, and as the name of Jesus, by the filling of the Holy Spirit, because it's based on the resurrection power of God. Everything hinges on Jesus. We get really messed up, folks, when we start trying to get into other things. I want to tell you, if you want to talk about your faith in a bold way, just talk about Jesus. I remember I went on a PB, I went on one of those, uh, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but I went on a public radio where they, I was the, the quote, evangelical that they, I think, really wanted to use kind of as the, the thing to bounce things off of. I remember just going in, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything but talk about Jesus. It was amazing what God did. Verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which he must be saved. If Jesus is not just a man, but he's also fully God, then what other name could fully reveal God? So it has to be through Jesus. I, 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 I asked this question because I've had to wrestle with this question. And what, what about all those others who haven't heard the name of Jesus? What about people who are... And I, my response to that is the word of God doesn't give us clarity. It just gives us clarity that no one is going to come into the presence of God except through the name of Jesus. I know that for a fact. But I also know this. If anyone's going to make a decision on anybody's life in this world, the most gracious, most merciful, most patient, most loving, most desiring that every person has a relationship with him is not anybody else in the world but God himself. And I just go, you know what? I can't answer sometimes. When people ask me, I don't know the full answer to that, but I do know this, that however it happens, it will happen through Jesus. And if someone really hungers for God, they will come to him by faith in his grace and they will have it some, in some way, I don't understand it, a revelation of who Jesus is. 
And the reason for their boldness is, is they're with Jesus. Their character had been formed in them because they spent time with Jesus. I, I don't know a better way for anyone to grow in their confidence and their faith and their boldness. There is no better way I know than to spend time with Jesus through his word, through prayer, with other believers who hold up the name of Jesus. As you go through and walk and you look at all that God has created and you see that Jesus was the one behind it all, everything hinges on Jesus, everything leads back to him. And if you want to grow in boldness, if if you want to grow in boldness, you need to spend time with Jesus. He says, they, the religious leaders, couldn't take their eyes off them, Peter and John, standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two were ordinary men with no training. The opposition to their boldness, look at verses 13 through 22. The opposition is intimidation and threats. Just look at this. When you begin to step out and say, God, I'm going to watch you move, I'm going to Enter into that crisis of faith. I'm going to obey. I'm going to let your spirit fill me. I can promise you when you start to do that, you will experience opposition. You just will. Listen to what it says in verses 15 through 22. They sent them out of the room so they could work out a plan. They talked it over. What can we do with these men? By now it's known all over town that a miracle has occurred and, and that they're behind it. There is no way we can refute that. I just think of the obstinacy. I mean, but I'm, we can be like that, right? We can get into our own position going, I'm going to be right. But, but so that it doesn't go any further, okay, we got to stop this. Let's silence them with threats. The opposition to your boldness will always be in threats and intimidation. So that they won't dare use the name Jesus ever again to anyone. And they called them back and they warned them and they, they were, um, that they were, on no account ever again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John spoke right back. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to him, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We know we're going to listen to you. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. We, we've experienced this. How could we lie? And the religious leaders, they doubled down, if you want to put it like that. They renewed their threats, but then released them because they knew they couldn't hold them. And they knew it, the charge didn't stick and the people wouldn't have stood for it and they were all praising God over the place for what had happened and about the man who had been healed, who was over 40 years old. The primary attack is going to be against you will be threats. And Satan will use others, he'll use circumstances, he'll use your thoughts to intimidate you, but it'll always be threats and you have to ask, is this you, God, or not? Think about it. Even people who might be close to you that you, you love and, and you feel they love you and care for you, you may, you may feel like, be really surprised sometimes when the threat comes even from their own voice. Not that they don't love you, but that Peter stands before Jesus one time when Jesus says what he's going to do and, and Jesus looks at Peter in the eyes. He's not talking here to Peter. He says, get away from me. You know, leave me, Satan. Out of here. I mean, Satan will do whatever he can. He he is the enemy of your soul, and he is no fool. This is not a game. This is a winner-take-all and a loser-lose-all. And he will be vicious. Because one of the places his threats will go to in your minds is to your insecurities and your past wounds. And he will attack you there. 
because he does not want you to be bold. The last is the power of their of their boldness was in their prayer. You can see it's just a simple daily dependence on God through prayer. When they felt the opposition, um, they stopped and they said, this is not my problem, God. This is yours. So let's talk about this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward at this point. Um, we're going to close in just a moment. But if you listen to what their prayer is, it's cool. As soon as they were released <clears throat> from custody, Peter and John went to the other believers and explained all that had happened with the high priests and the elders. And when the believers heard their report, they raised their voices in unity. They said, let's do this together and prayed, Lord Yahweh, you are the Lord of all. You created the universe, the earth, the sky, the sea, and everything that is in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefather saying this, and they appeal to his sovereignty, a great thing in prayer. How dare the nations plan a rebellion, ranting and raging against the Lord Most High. Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the kings of the earth take their stand with the rulers scheming and conspiring together against God and his anointed Messiah. In fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Jews and non-Jews, met together to take their stand against your holy servant, Jesus the Messiah. They did to him. This is all prayer. They're just rehearsing to God. God knows this, but they're saying this out loud. They did all this to him, all that your purpose and, and will had determined according to the destiny you had Marked out for him. So now, Lord, listen to their threats to harm us. Protect us. Hear what they're saying. Empower us as your servants to speak the word of God freely and courageously. The word there, parousia, in in the Greek is this word of it. It's just this unhindered. God, do not let anything or anybody in any way scare me. Let me have the freedom to just do what you've called me to do, to say what you've called me to say. Stretch out your hand of power through us. To heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. They ask God for signs and wonders. There's nothing wrong for that. We don't live for signs and wonders. We live for what God's calling us to do. And then we ask God, there may be times you have to have signs and wonders to awaken the hearts of people. So I'm going to ask you as they come and as they they prepare to sing. I'm going to read this verse in just a moment. But I want you to ask with boldness. It may be for someone. It may be for a situation. It may be at work. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to ask that you would ask Jesus for that which is in your heart. And I just dare you to do that. Say, Jesus, I dare you to do this. I'm I'm going to be obedient in this and I'm going to watch for you to fill me I'm going to watch for you I'm asking for signs and wonders you know the threats that I hear in my head you know the threats that are out there but I believe you I trust you I trust you I trust you Jesus and Acts 4.31 said at that moment the earth shook beneath them causing the building they were in to tremble. Each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with the same word, unrestrained boldness.